Welcome to the Staying Ageless Podcast, a show that will equip you with the major keys to achieve extraordinary longevity. This is your girl, Asosa E, also known as Raw Girl. I'm a certified nutrition specialist and behavioral coach. And today on the show, we will be chatting about how to master your digestive wellness, part two. To get this longevity party started, I'm going to give you guys some background you need to know about your digestive system, and later we will chat with Dr. Liz Lipsky, who is professor and the director of academic development for the graduate programs in clinical nutrition at Maryland University of Integrative Health, the owner of the Innovative Healing Academy, and the author of Digestive Wellness, now in its fifth edition. I am so grateful to have each and every one of you tuning into the show from all over the world. Shout out to listeners in Uganda, Mozambique, South Africa, the UK, France, Germany, Canada, Poland, and of course, the USA. I appreciate you all. If today's show inspires you, I'm inviting you to go ahead and subscribe and please rate the show on Apple Podcasts and write a review. It means the world to me to get feedback, so any reviews are much appreciated. Again, I am really excited about today's show and our guest, who is an integral part of my personal journey in becoming a nutritionist, as she's the Director of Academic Development at Maryland University of Integrative Health, where I received my master's. We had so much to chat about um, that I decided to break this interview into two episodes. So this is the second part. If you missed the first part of the conversation, go on back to last week's episode and catch up. She has written the most amazing, comprehensive book on digestive wellness called Digestive Wellness, Strengthening the Immune System and Preventing Disease Through Healthy Digestion. And because it is so dense and chock full of gems, I decided to use her book to give you guys some background on the digestive system before we chat. And if you're a health professional, please run, don't walk, buy this book. Um, It can be used as an amazing reference to help you address your client's digestive issues. I loved an early section in the book that breaks down some surprising info about your digestive system. Here are some of those facts you may not know. If spread flat, your digestive system would cover a tennis court. That's mind-boggling to imagine. This you may have heard, 70% of your immune system is located in your digestive system. This is why our gut is so key to our immunity. You have three and a half to four and a half pounds of bacteria in your digestive system that help you make vitamins, protect you against infection, and run your metabolism. And all of this together is what is called the gut microbiome. The digestive system and the brain are connected via the vagus nerve. And if the vagus nerve was cut, the digestive system would still function on its own. Pretty amazing. Your gut makes more neurotransmitters than the brain. 80 to 90% of serotonin is made in the gut, and every class of brain neurotransmitter has been found in the gut. In my practice, I've seen a wide range of gut issues, but some of the most common I've seen include candida overgrowth, parasitic infection, bacterial infections, low stomach acid, and lately I've been seeing a lot more clients with food allergies. I personally struggled with candida overgrowth and parasitic infection, and that was the result of being poisoned by mercury by my dentist. Shout out to the dentist I had when I was a teenager. Um, There are many more, but here are some telltale signs that you may need to pay more attention to your gut health. 
If you are experiencing frequent gas or bloating, that's a red flag. If you have skin issues, eczema, rashes, psoriasis, hives, also acne, that's a red flag. Diarrhea or constipation, especially if it's chronic. Um, If you have depression or anxiety, definitely want to look into your gut as well. Recurring fungal infections, a white coating on your tongue. If you have bad breath, undigested food in your stools, fatigue after eating, abdominal cramps, headaches or migraines low blood sugar issues, and mood swings. And these are just a few. If you're experiencing any of these things, I highly recommend you work with a holistic health practitioner to get to the root cause so that you can improve your digestive health. Since we have to eat most of our lives, it's really important that we can do so with comfort and ease. All right, we're going to take a short break. And when we get back, we'll speak to our amazing guest. Are you interested in living your best, healthiest life? I'm Asosa E, also known as The Raw Girl of TheRawGirl.com, and I'm a certified nutrition specialist and behavioral coach who specializes in helping you discover what exercise and diet is best for your body and get to the root cause and rebalance if you have a serious chronic condition. Clients who've worked with me have reversed diabetes, hypertension, balanced hormonally, gotten rid of acne for good, and lost hundreds of pounds. If you are interested in reaching your health goals with some support this year, visit therawgirl.com to sign up for a 20-minute call with yours truly. Until then, stay healthy and happy. We had Dr. Lipsky on the show last week, and it was such an amazing conversation that I could not cut it short. So this is part two of Mastering Your Digestive Wellness, and we're just going to pick up where the conversation left off. If you haven't listened to part one, I definitely encourage you to go back and listen to last week's episode. Can we talk a little bit about food allergies? Like, I feel like this that particular thing. So I deal with a lot of gut issues. This is why I'm so excited to get into the fifth edition of digestive wellness that you wrote. Amazing. I can't wait to devour every single page over and over. Um, but mostly I see like (laughs) candida bloating, low stomach acid, maybe occasionally people dealing with bad breath, whatever. The thing that I feel like I haven't seen as much of is food allergies, but I'm noticing that it's happening more often. And I hear different things about like food allergy testing, whether or not it's reliable, unreliable. And I know, I know you're going to say that every single person is unique, but I I guess I want to get your take on where you begin as a practitioner when someone presents with a ton of food allergies. Okay. So often people walk in and they know already that they have reactions to certain foods. Yes. But sometimes people don't. So for example, if somebody has eczema or psoriasis or any kind of skin condition, you want to start thinking about digestion and you want to start thinking about leaky gut. If somebody has migraine headaches or fibromyalgia or, you know, um, even sometimes arthritis, just Mm -hmm. everyday old arthritis, autoimmune conditions, you can pretty much assume that people have, or at least they had leaky gut to begin with. So again, like to step back just a second, leaky gut is where, is where um, the small intestine 
has a dual function. And the dual function is to allow food molecules and nutrients to enter your bloodstream after Mm -hmm. it's already been digested really well Mm -hmm. and to keep out everything that you just want to poo out Mm -hmm. and um, that doesn't belong. And what happens in so many of us, because we're stressed Mm -hmm. chronically, because we eat not as healthy as we should, because we excessively use alcohol or we use hormones or steroids or um, take antibiotics or we use um, aspirin or, or ibuprofen for pain really often, we start getting what's called leaky gut. Mm. And leaky gut is is present in virtually everybody who has an autoimmune condition. Mm. And what happens is then we start getting food molecules and molds and bacteria and fungi and food chemicals, the things that don't belong in the bloodstream kind of slip in because um, because we haven't don't have a good barrier there anymore. And one of the things that starts happening is we start getting food sensitivities and food reactions. Yeah. So in terms of testing, what I can say is I don't think that there's any test that's a hundred percent perfect. Yeah. But, and we just had this debate. I was just teaching last week and we just had this debate Mm -hmm. and, you know, um, some of the clinicians were saying, I just don't use it anymore. And then some of us were saying, no, we find it really useful. So I'm on the really useful side. Um, because, because what I know is that people, if you can just kind of bring them down below a threshold, they'll start feeling better. Mm. It's like filling a bucket with water. And if you overflow, then people feel worse. And so um, what I'll usually do is I'll recommend that somebody start some sort of an elimination diet where we just, the real proof is always in, do you feel better when you stop eating this food? Right. So that's always my first place. But there are some people who say, I am not going to turn my life upside down without some kind of proof here. Um, And so food sensitivity testing can be really useful for those people. And then for other people, I think it's also useful because you can find foods that you just didn't suspect. Right. So for example, I had a client once and she had really bad heartburn and we had been doing, playing with her diet and doing different things, but but one of the foods that came up for her was, was um, eggs. Mm. And so I'm like, huh, well, let's take eggs out of your diet and see what happens. Why don't you try it? Mm-hmm. And so she stopped eating eggs. And then she noticed every time she would eat eggs, she'd get heartburn. Right. So she saw in her own way that eggs weren't good for her. And sometimes she still decided to eat them anyway, because she was human. Mm-hmm. And sometimes she's like, no, I'm just not going to do that. Hmm. So um, my husband went on an elimination diet. And after a while, he's like, you know, I really love having a couple glasses of wine every week and having a couple of glasses of beer every week. But you know what, when I do that, I don't feel as well. Yeah. You know, and so, I mean, he's not like most people, but he hasn't had any alcohol for years now because that's how he is. He's like, well, it's not good for me, so it's not good for me. So anyway, I I do find it to be really useful. Yeah. And 
typically really like using, um, um, there's different tests that I'm not in practice anymore, but, but I think U.S. Biotech has a really good and cost-effective uh, panel of, of foods. Okay. I think Meridian Valley, and they also have like finger poke testing, yeah. which, which for you and me, that makes it really easy. We can give somebody a kit to do at home. Right. Um, and then I also, uh, other labs that have good quality um, tests are um, ELISA ACT, mm-hmm. which I would often use if I was working with somebody who had autoimmune conditions mm-hmm. because it looks at molds and it looks at food dyes and it looks at a very broad range of, of different things. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are also, um, Genova has a good good quality um, panel. I think it's a little bit more expensive. Yeah. And then some people really like using um, the MRT Leap or the Alcat test. And okay. those are really interesting. They, they actually test something completely different. When we do um, antibody testing, we're looking at the acquired immune system. We're looking to say, what specifically is your body reacting to? Right. Um, that you're making antibodies against. And the MRT leap and the ALCAT tests are really different. They're looking for general kind of inflammation. Mm-hmm. And it's it's interesting because they're really looking at your innate immune response, which is kind of white blood cell response, mm. which is, you know, very different. So um, I have seen people get really great responses, but that's not what I do. I usually do IgG testing, um, IgE testing for real allergies. Okay. And that I usually refer people for because it's, it requires a blood draw. Okay. So I noticed very early on in my career when I was working as a wellness clinic, I'm still very early in my career. What am I talking about? But when I first started, I noticed that people would overeat foods that they were clearly sensitive to. And then I was reading in your book, you were talking about exorphins. Is that how you pronounce it? Exorphins. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so can you break that down? Because I found that I was just like, oh, well, that, I thought I thought so. <laughs> <laughs> so you know how an addict really, you know, it, they're addicted, right? Yeah, and so, yeah. well, so I worked a lot with the um, kids on the autistic spectrum in the last part of when I was seeing clients and working with people one-on-one. And, and um, what you see is that kids on the autistic spectrum and a lot of kids and adults with ADHD, they focus on like a few main food groups, dairy, Mm -hmm. gluten containing grains Mm -hmm. and, um, and eggs are like the big ones. And for all of us, those are the three big trigger groups for food sensitivities. Yeah. And what we know is from work from um, Dr. Ari Bojani is that when he actually tested kids who are on the autistic spectrum, that they actually make brain peptides when they eat, especially gluten and dairy. Wow. Um, they make these brain peptides that are that kind of trigger a dopamine response Hmm. where their body just says, well, I feel better when I eat this food. And then when we stop eating the food, we're like addicts that are withdrawing from it. And so I was just talking to a friend the other day and she did food sensitivity testing. She goes, 
Yeah. I mean, eggs came up for me, like, and they always do when I do these kind of tests, but <laughs> I don't want to give up eggs. And, and she goes, I know, I know, I know. It's the <laughs> foods that you say, I can't give this up, that are usually the ones that, that are giving you the most problems. because. Totally. Because we're we're physically addicted, and you know, people have probably heard of like runners high, right? Yeah. Of of how people get these endorphins, yeah, after they run or we exercise, and we just feel so much better. Well, the same thing's true with these exorphins. They're chemicals in our food that actually act like opium. Wow. They sit on opiate receptors and. We call them um, glutomorphins and casomorphins because oh, we get them from casomorphin is is an exomorphin is it is an exorphin sorry <laughs> yeah it, and the reason why we call it an exorphin is because it comes from outside the body instead of okay. we don't make it so an endorphin we make and yeah. an exorphin we don't make ah okay got it now it makes sense and that's part of why cheese is so addictive as well oh yeah dairy. Mm-hmm. You know, but two thirds of the planet's population doesn't do that well with dairy products. Yeah, no, it's a big thing. And it's a really big thing. It's been a big theme in my practice because most of my clients are African American and most of them are consuming dairy and most of them are actually lactose intolerant. So it it's like, stop, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I love dairy products, but dairy products do not love me. Oh, you know, I wish I wish they did. Yeah. I I really wish they did. I love cheese and I love right. <laughs> you know all that kind of stuff. But you know, it's I can you know what for me the only kind of tip off for me is that I get this <clears throat> in my throat. Right. And at night when I go to sleep, I I find that my nose is all stuffed up, and I go. Uh. Well, if that's happening that I notice, then what kind of things are happening inside my body that I don't notice? Totally. I've noticed that, you know, people can debate a whole range of dietary things. I think the more going to MUIH and experiencing so many clients, I now don't really have a dietary philosophy except for the best one that's best for my client, honestly. (laughs) But... I have noticed through through listening to a bunch of different people that in general, I would say that most health experts who have seen clients and have done a lot of time in their life researching say gluten, dairy, processed foods shouldn't be a part of our lives. Would you agree with that? Well, I would agree with that. And I would just kind of make a caveat. And I would yeah. say, you know, there are occasions for a treat. Mm-hmm. So I would just kind of have that caveat is that, you know, if it's somebody's birthday, it's your birthday, like, and you want cake and you don't notice that you have any negative reactions to gluten, mm-hmm. then why not have cake? No, I you know. Totally you. Yeah. And, and you also know that, that kind of our needs change, you know, depending on our health status and, mm. and so many other things, but in general, the three big food groups that people have the most, well, I'm going to say four, okay. are sugar, yeah. dairy, yeah. gluten-containing grains, and yeah. eggs. Yeah. And those don't seem to really go away. Yeah, no, totally. Totally. And I'm always trying to, you know, in addition to that, I, I totally believe 
and not just taking things away from people because they're eating things for a specific reason. Sometimes they have emotional reasons why they're eating something. And so I'm always trying to also figure out ways to find substitutions. And luckily, I do feel like there are so many options now out there to help you make a cake that doesn't have, you know what I mean? That maybe doesn't have whole milk in it or whatever it is that bothers you. (laughs) So there are options for people if they are still wanting to have something that feels like a treat. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Last night I had made um, this miso vegetable soup and I had also some um, muffins that I had made with almond meal and they're so delicious. And I've made them for like dessert when company comes over yeah. and nobody's ever said, Oh my God, these are gluten-free because right. they have no idea right. because they're just delicious. Right. So um, I think, you know, it's, it's all about kind of balance Yeah. about balance and what works for you. And, you know, that's why the, the elimination diet is the gold standard all the time, mm-hmm. because we can read all kinds of things, but unless you actually try something in your body, mm-hmm. you're not going to know if it helps you to take it out or it doesn't. Well, one, one quick question about that. Sometimes, cause I do have some clients who have crazy allergic reactions to things that you would consider healthy. There weren't in the list of the, that we just talked about. And so they're kind of like, how can I just eliminate, you know, I don't know, avocado for the rest of my life? <laughs> like, and so for me, it's like, is with some of these issues, it feels like there's got to be a way to get to the bottom of why it's happening so that hopefully they can live a normal life afterwards. Or for some people, is it possible that they could just be potentially forever allergic to something? Okay, so people who have true allergies, true allergies. Um, It's really hard to modulate those true allergies because the body has, you know, we have COVID going on right now. What are we talking about all the time? Like how do we get people so that they have immune immunity to it? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the key. Right. And so, um, and what happens when people have real allergies to things mm-hmm. is that when they were children, typically, mm-hmm. they got exposed to something and their body just went berserk mm-hmm. and said, I can't deal with this. I don't like this. I'm going to th- close your throat. I'm going to have really bad reactions right. so that you don't do this anymore. And right. so those kind of allergies, they're really hard to get rid of. Okay really, really, really hard to get rid of. That said, by changing lifestyle and by, you know, getting acupuncture and, you know, doing Chinese medicine and doing a lot of different things, you can really modulate them so that if you do get exposed, that you have less severe of a reaction. And that's the whole idea behind doing allergy shots is giving you little tiny doses of them so that your body gets more used to it. Right. Okay. But but for food sensitivities, which is what most of us have, which is an IgG, IgM, IgA antibody reaction to certain foods, is, is you have to always kind of look under the hood and say, does this person have leaky gut? Mm-hmm. Does this mm-hmm. person yeah. have too much stress in their lives? Do they have an infection yeah. that's driving this? Do they have mold contamination in their house that's driving it? Are they 
Uh, do they have some kind of a chemical exposure that's driving this? Mm. Um, you know, and so I think that's where a really good integrative nutritionist or clinician can come in is to really start looking at kind of under the hood and say, okay, well, tell me about your life. And I remember once I was talking to a man and he said, you know, my life was great. Everything <laughs> in my life was great. I started a new business. I was getting my master's degree. And then my world fell apart. I couldn't think anymore. My energy was gone. And I had to drop out of school and I sold my, you know, I just closed my business. And, you know, and, and so I started asking questions. This is very early in my career. And started asking him questions. And then he said something to me that just kind of perked my ears. I'm like, he said, you know, when I go into the grocery store and they say these things are, are organic, I mm -hmm. can tell if they're organic or not. Because mm -hmm. some of them have been sprayed. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, where, where were you when they were spraying your area for Mediterranean fruit flies? Right. And he said, Oh, well, I was right there. And I'm like, and that was right at right before uh, you got sick. Oh you my know, goodness. So it's so important that we listen really carefully mm. and that pay attention when people tell us things. Mm. Because most people have the answers inside of them. They live in their bodies. We don't live in their body. Right. So, you know, I'm really nosy. I ask like millions of questions. <laughs> and and um because I really want to better understand, like, who's this person sitting in front of me? And I'm sure you do the same thing. Yeah. You know, it's like, how do we really try to figure it out? And so, you know, the first step is for food sensitivities is you got to stop eating the foods. Yeah. See how you feel. And then as you reintroduce the food slowly, then see what's left, mm. you know, um, I am working with somebody right now, an old friend, and she she's, um, has had irritable bowel syndrome for decades. Wow. And then she had kind of a bout of food poisoning. And um, she called me and she's like, oh, my gosh, I'm just in really bad shape. And so, so I started working with her and her doctor gave her some antibiotics. Mm -hmm. And I recommended a low FODMAP diet. And mm -hmm. within two weeks... She was, she says, I haven't felt this good in decades. Wow. I've always felt like I was pregnant. Wow. Um, and then we followed up with some um, herbs to kind of mm -hmm. balance her microbiome. Mm -hmm. And now she's like five or six months out in this, you know, and she's like, well, when I go off the low FODMAP diet, I feel worse. I can tell there's certain foods that make me feel worse. And then there's also foods that that um, they're high on FODMAP, but they're not bothering me. Yeah. You know, and, and it's like it only sometimes with an elimination diet, in less than two weeks, people can feel better than they felt in decades. Right. You see it all the time. I know you oh, do. Oh, no, totally. Totally. You say in your book um, that you, you gave really simple prescriptions that are radical, like telling people to rest for two hours a day. <laughs> <laughs> I, I laughed when I read that because I imagined saying that to some of my clients and them just looking at me like, <laughs> like, like what are you talking about? I'm busy. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's how I had to do it because I'm busy. And 
I actually discovered that in my own body um, mm. that I needed to rest more. And my husband had been telling me for a long time, you know, um, rest is the basis of activity. Huh. That's so good. And he, your husband's he, totally quotable. He is totally quotable, but you know, we don't want to listen to anybody. And, <laughs> and, but you know, there was a time in my life when my kidneys were failing where I just, I just felt so depleted. Oh, so I just started. Um, and also after I had my kidney transplant, you know, I just started resting and you know what? And I, within about three weeks, mm -hmm. my energy felt great. Mm. And so I started asking my, my clients to do it. And when they were so exhausted and, and um, it was an amazing thing because they look at you, as you said, like you are a completely crazy person, right? They look at you in two ways. That's impossible. And <laughs> oh, wouldn't that be nice if I could? Right. Right. So, so they kind of give you this dual answer and you just kind of say, well, could you take like an extra half an hour in the morning or could you get into bed an hour earlier at night and just kind of chill? Or could you like at lunch, instead of like skipping lunch, could you just like close your eyes and, and sleep or meditate for a little while, you know, mm -hmm. and everybody's going to find their own way. I had one client and she's like, she's a nutritionist and she's like, how about if I just lay down in between every patient I see huh. for five minutes? Yeah. And I said, great, great. And that worked for her. So, you know, yes, it's impossible because we're all busy, but um, we've all found in this time of COVID that we can be adaptable, you yeah. know? Um, yeah. We usually pay for it when we don't take the time. Like for me, I have to take a Sabbath every single week where I literally do nothing all day and nothing might be laying in bed, might be watching movies. It might just be going out for a walk, but I'm literally not allowed to work. Um, yeah. I am allowed to like read <laughs> or listen to a podcast if I want to, but it can't be like doing client notes or, you know, whatever it is. Um, and I find that if I don't take it, I suffer for it. I really do. Yeah. And there's a reason why people have observed the Sabbath. Mm. You know, when I was a kid, all stores were closed on Sundays. Hmm. Everything was closed all day Sunday. Yeah. And, you know, now everything's open 24 seven. Yeah. So I do the same thing. Like I, there are days I go, I am not looking at my computer. I'm not going to open my computer. I'm not going to look at email. I'm just not. Yeah. Um, and, um, and I just took um, one day this week, just as you said, I watched a movie in the middle of the afternoon. It's like, I'm tired. I'm just not going to do anything. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I know. And I, you know, after living overseas, like you realize how normal that is everywhere else. I feel like it's worse in America. I mean, I even feel like my life is a little bit more balanced when I was living overseas because I feel like it's already just built into the culture. I agree. I agree. I, yeah. Um, I haven't lived overseas for a long time, but, but um, not since I was really young, but, but um, yeah, I mean, our pace is crazy. And, you know, one of the interesting things I've even had people tell me is sometimes, you know, people, 
I've worked a lot with people who um, overeat emotionally. Yes. And, and one of the most interesting things is like, well, if somebody walks in a room and I'm reading a magazine, mm-hmm. it looks like I'm being lazy. But if somebody walks into the room and I'm eating, it looks like I'm doing something. <laughs> you know, because it's not okay for us to just sit still in our right. culture. Right. So interesting. Oh, okay. I could talk to you forever, but I'm going to, I'm going to let you go, I guess, after I ask you this last question, <laughs> which is, which is going to probably be really hard to answer, but if you could choose maybe the top two or three biggest lessons you've learned in your 30 plus years of clinical practice, what would you say are those, those lessons? And it could be about yourself or about just working with patients. On the spot, so here's one of them, is is that when people have chronic health issues, there's always an emotional, spiritual piece of that. Mm. And that you and I look at biochemistry and we look at lifestyle, and sometimes people still come to a plateau where they just can't move. And then we need more energetic approaches like acupuncture or um, laying on of hands healing or or um, uh, emotional freedom technique, which is a tapping technique yes, or, or sending people to to go get counseling. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so especially if somebody has a chronic health issue, that's something that I learned over time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think we've already talked about one of the other ones is that I am not the expert of somebody's life or body. I know a lot and I can be a really good guide. You started as a health coach, you know, Mm -hmm. I can be a really good guide, but together we can figure it out. Yeah. Um, But I can't figure it out on my own. And so one of my teachers, David Jones, he said, you know, he's an MD. He said, when somebody walks into my office and I think, oh my gosh, I'm the doctor and I'm supposed to know everything. Mm. He said, then I freeze. Mm. He says, but when I walk into a room and realize that this is a partnership, mm. then I know we can do it. And oh, that's I think, so good. I think those are a couple of things that I've learned. That is so good. And I, I really, I love what he said. And I wish that more medical professionals actually thought about it that way. Because I don't think that it happens that people think of it as a partnership, honestly. No, not exactly. But, you know, I live in my body when I go and I tell my doctor something, Mm -hmm. she, she can only reflect on what I told her, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, I think, you know, I've had people come to see me and they, they're like, well, I don't think about my body. I live in my head. Right. 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 You know, so getting sometimes people to like start feeling what's going on in their body. Well, what does it feel like when you're hungry? You know, what does it feel like when this happens? You know, what is it? You know, that's all part of the picture. And, you know, and it's it's such a privilege to get to work with people because they tell you their most intimate things about what's going on in their lives and what's going on in their minds. And, you know, and sometimes people, I've worked with people that said, I don't think you're going to get better while you're in this marriage or while you're in this job or yeah. um, while you live in this city because it's too stressful for you or, 
Yeah. You know, it's, um, I'm so glad you brought that up. I've, I've always, I say, I hope that I don't become the nutritionist that makes everyone quit their jobs, but every single time I do a class, someone quits their job. (laughs) (laughs) It's good. It's good. (laughs) It's also like there's, you know, every, if you're going to work every day and you're having a panic attack, child, how can I help you? Like, it's really, it's really rough sometimes, you know? It's really rough sometimes. Yes. (laughs) Oh my God. Um, This has been the best conversation ever. Um, We'll do it again. (laughs) Please. And where can people, okay, so you have, your book is out, Digestive Wellness, the fifth edition. I don't really recommend it for anyone who's not a practitioner necessarily because you might get confused or just overwhelmed, but I have a lot of practitioners who listen to this podcast. So please go get it. And then where can people take your class? Oh, so I have an online class, which I think also it's also for really well-educated consumers, but mostly it's for nutrition professionals and physicians and clinicians of all types. And it's called the art of digestive wellness mm-hmm. and it's online at art of wellness.com. And it's, it's been approved for um, all nutrition professionals. So dietitians and CNSs and nutrition coaches and, you know, uh, all nutrition professionals here and in the United Kingdom um, for continuing education credits. Oh, awesome. Um, between 20 and 24 credits. Okay. Depending on the organization. Um, but it's um, it's basically kind of, I just distilled like what I've learned over the last 40 years and how I think about things. And mm-hmm. I go through some of the research, but really talk about the gut brain and really talk about um, why would you use a low FODMAP diet versus a specific carbohydrate diet for somebody? And why mm-hmm. would you... Um, how do you know what leaky gut is and what role, you know, and how do you heal it? And I also have dozens and dozens of handouts and assessment tools. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think for the non-clinicians listening, Mm -hmm. I also have um, a digestive health appraisal questionnaire Mm -hmm. that people can download and try to pinpoint, could it be gluten? Could it be my gallbladder? Could it be my liver? Could I have leaky gut? Um, what might be going on, mm-hmm. which can help you figure out better what's going on. And for clinicians, you can just download it and use it in your practice as well. Super cool. Um, is that on your website? It is. And the, the it has a, its own URL, which is um, dhaq.info. Okay. We will link it in the show notes. That's really helpful. And I'm yeah. totally taking your class. I'm like in way too many <laughs> way too many classes right now but I saw that and I was like oh no now I have to add this to the list <laughs> oh yeah I know but we're lifelong learners isn't it we are, fun? We are. It is, it. it's very much fun thank you so much Liz you are amazing you're an amazing human being I'm so glad that I feel like we met for a very specific reason and I, for me, this is a full circle moment. I hope we continue to have these moments where I see you again and get to chat with you and see where, how I've, how much I've evolved since the last time. Me too. Me too. <laughs> Thank you so much. It was so fun to reconnect with you this way.
right, it's time to take a question from Instagram or email. Remember, if you would like to have your question on the show, all you got to do is send me a DM, slide up in my DMs, respond to the call for questions on my profile at The Raw Girl, or contact me via my website, therawgirl.com. Today's question is from Alicia via email. She says, Dear Raw Girl, ever since I moved to the U.S. from overseas, I've noticed so many food allergies. I'm not sure if this is because there's a huge difference in the food supply. I'm also not sure what to do. Hi, Alicia. Thanks so much for writing in. I've actually heard a similar story from some of my clients, some who emigrate to the U.S. or some who went overseas and then came back and then they have difficulties with food. Off top, I'm wondering what country you were living in and what foods are now posing a problem for you. To begin, I would make sure that you're eating organic more often than not, as pesticide use in the USA greatly differs from other countries. In fact, I'm sad to say that a quarter of the pesticides used in the U.S. are banned in the European Union. A study showed that in 2016, U.S. farmers used 322 million pounds of pesticides that are banned in the EU. Jeez Louise. 40 million pounds of pesticides that are banned are being phased out of China, and 26 million pounds of pesticides banned or phased out in Brazil. This is unfortunate and could possibly be the reason that your body's reacting to food now that you're back stateside. You can also get food sensitivity testing and dedicate a period of time to avoid all foods that bother you for three to four months and see how your body feels. If that feels too drastic for you, you could try a temporary elimination diet to, again, just allow your body a break from potential food sensitivities and then slowly bring foods back in so that you can accurately determine what is causing the problem. There are other things you can look into and work with your health practitioner to add to your regimen like probiotics, potentially digestive enzymes, or supplements like quercetin, which reduces inflammatory responses and can help control allergies. I really hope that helps you. All right, it's time to close out the show. Hopefully, these two episodes have given you some insightful information about the digestive system and some things to look out for to ensure your gut health is optimal. Today, I leave you with this quote by an unknown author. Your gut is not Las Vegas. What happens in the gut does not stay in the gut. (laughs) I hope our gut masterclass episodes have gotten you to see how important your digestive health is and how much it can affect your mood, emotions, along with your overall health and quality of life. Well, that's all for today, sis. If you're looking for more health tips or have a question for the show, find me on Instagram at The Raw Girl. You can also find me and contact me through my website, therawgirl.com. For more on the show or to listen to past episodes, visit Staying Ageless Show dot com.